Welcome to Dad Docs. We are your hosts, Dan and Harmon. This is a podcast where two fathers who happen to be pediatric specialist physicians talk about fatherhood and parenting topics. The views and opinions expressed are solely our own and do not constitute medical advice. How are you doing today? Harmon, I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about this uh, topic. And be controversial. Uh, the to- <laughs> yeah, the topic we're going to talk about today is, uh, you know, the, the battle of breastfeeding versus formula feeding. So, Dan, what, what was your experience uh, being a new father with uh, breastfeeding and uh, versus formula feeding? What, uh, what, what did you come across? You know, obviously, you and I both trained in pediatrics before our ICU fellowship, and uh, we're all taught evidence-based medicine, and we, our teaching was that Breast milk exclusively, which is the AAP and WHO's uh, standpoint on this, exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months is the best for the child. And, you know, that's what I would tell all my clinic patients when I used to have a pediatric clinic. That's my, that was my understanding. Well, while all of our pregnant, we're like, my wife and I were like, we're going to do exclusive breastfeeding uh, as much as possible. Hopefully we have enough supply because we know that that is the best. Guess what? Baby comes, and uh, you know we had a really tough labor, thirty-four hours of labor. Um, I mean, I should say my wife endured the tough labor. I was uh, <laughs> rooting her on from bedside, uh, but and then we had an emergency section, urgency section because of a prolonged rupture of membranes, and baby came. The milk supply was uh, lagging, right? And uh, okay, we quickly were like, okay, our plan to do exclusive breastfeeding has changed right now because we cannot do it. And, you know, I I expressed a lot of concerns and, you know, in the postpartum unit, especially for, you know, baby friendly, you know, hospitals, they are really promoting, you know, exclusive breastfeeding. And uh, they tried to reassure us that, you know, baby was getting the colostrum, right, which is that fatty initial milk Mm -hmm. that has a lot of nutrition and calories. Um, But, you know, me being a a freaking ICU, a paranoid doctor, (laughs) right? I'm like trying to manual express and I'm not seeing any colostrum come down. And my wife is saying, I don't think our kid is getting anything. And so we quickly now, uh, in a scenario that we'd never imagined, we asked the hospital for formula. They were very reassuring. They sent us a lot of lactation consultants, et cetera, saying, Hey, don't worry. Um, this ha- this is completely normal. Um, the baby's getting colostrum. You just might probably don't see it. And breastfeeding is best. So just continue to do what we're doing. And guess what happened, right? I mean, we go home and this is a common story that I'm finding that's happening, you know, all throughout our, you know, all throughout the world, all throughout the US is that babies go home and guess what? They come back dehydrated with hyperbilirubinemia. They need, you know, then they need formula supplementation and they need phototherapy, especially for Asian babies who are, have a high uh, risk for, uh, you know, hyperbilirubinemia and jaundice. And so we had to do that, right? And we had to supplement with formula on the backhand and then uh, do phototherapy. And so that really shocked me. I was like, why did this happen? Because I knew that our baby was not getting enough in because I could physically see that he was not getting enough in. Um, But the hospital, right? I mean, mean, and I'm not putting blame on the hospital because I know that they're trying to do what is best, so I was a little disappointed and then I started to rethink what I think is the best practice. And that's what, you know, I hope what, what we'll talk about today, but what was your experience, Harmon? We, it, it was, it was a bit of a challenge for us as well. I mean, um, when, uh, when our son was born, we had the same plan. We, we went in guns a blazing on the whole, 
you know, we're going to do breastfeeding and my wife had it, uh, as, as a plan for her, it was, it was a personal mission, um, as a result of, uh, everything that was given to her in terms of the benefits of breastfeeding that, you know, what, for the first year he's going to get breast milk. Well, you know, he, um, he is born and, um, we, uh, it, it was much the same in the, the postpartum area we were, we were trying to get uh, my son to latch and, uh, his latch really like, uh, it, it, it it was exquisitely painful for my wife. I mean, like she was near tears. I remember them saying like, Oh, maybe he's got a tongue tie. And for me that, that was a, tr- that was a bit of a trigger. Cause I was like, Oh man, like, you know, we made it like what, thousands of years as humans without doing frenulectomies. But now all of a sudden they're, they're being done all the time. And what that is, is just a snipping of the tongue tie. So for me, all of a sudden, I was encouraged to make it a personal mission that my son is going to latch onto this breast and it's not going to hurt that bad. So for the first week, week and a half, it took two of us to get him to latch. I would literally have to pry his lips and his um, gum line uh, down low enough so that he could uh, get an effective latch. And this is more information that I'd ever had in my life about breastfeeding. I honestly, right. I, I, we got training in our pediatric uh, fields. And I got to say, like, the amount of stuff that I had to look up to see what was right, what was wrong, should it hurt, should it not, all, all these questions that I, that I had, um, you know, I, I really had to look from, look at it from the ground up. We, we got to the point where um, our son actually experienced the same thing, is that he became jaundiced. We were going into a long weekend, and uh, the question became, like, well, what's the best thing to do? Do we get him under phototherapy lights? Um, and that's where we drew our line in the sand as well. Actually, Dan, we, um, we said, you know what, it's not worth it if we have to give medical treatment for something that we have formula for. And so we actually supplemented formula, um, believe it or not with a syringe, which is again, another one of the things that I always said was going to be a no, no in my books, but he just was not drinking. And, uh, we kind of got over the hump. My wife, luckily the whole breastfeeding, uh, dynamic that uh, dyad uh, improved a tremendous amount and with that occurring um we actually wound up uh, having a lot of excess formula left over we didn't wind up having to use it the pumping became better and so we wound up being one of the positive stories that came out of this but okay. it's a it's 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 really fascinating to hear the number of women that actually struggle with breastfeeding right out of the gate what do you think Obviously, I've started to do a lot of reading about breastfeeding, breast milk versus formula because of our experience. And, you know, I was shocked to learn a lot about the history, you know. So I think in 1991 is when the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative and the breast is best, like that mantra that we all hear, that all started up. And uh, especially in the U.S. and, and in a lot of developed countries, they've adopted that, you know, that that a message that they try to give uh, and that's based off, you know, uh, a lot of Im- important benefits of breast milk. Um, but I do be- believe that it's gotten to a point where it's a little bit unreasonable now for the modern day mother in 2022 now to continue to press that message from 1991, uh, exclusive breastfeeding for six months, breast is best, uh, you know, and you have to do that or otherwise increasing the risk of certain things, right? I think a lot of mothers feel guilt that they cannot do that, live up to that standard of exclusive breastfeeding for six months, which is what the AAP and WHO recommend. So here is the shocking number that I found. The CDC published numbers, uh, you know, about 
six years ago saying that only 24.9%, now this is on the CDC, you can go look it up, only 24.9% of mothers in the U.S. do exclusive breastfeeding for six months. And that's, uh, that was shocking to me. It's, uh, if, if this is something that is so great that uh, we've been saying that every mother should be doing this, what is happening that only a quarter of mothers are able, actually able to do it, right? Right. And I don't know, what do you think about that? It, I think that that speaks volumes. Um, you know, we're we're in an era right now where we just don't have the full support systems to to back this type of a statement, and that that's my personal opinion uh, of it. And again, it's it, the the literature behind it. Um, that that's one of the things that uh, always kind of staggers me with this. So I, I know, like the rates of uh, certain infections are um, uh, they're they're supposed to be higher if you're not breastfed. One of those is uh, ear infections, acute otitis media. And uh, they're saying that uh, about 44% of uh, children will have one bout of ear infections. Um, however, that risk is uh, doubled when you have, uh, you know, infants that aren't exclusively breastfed. Well, my question to that is one ear infection versus two ear infections is the difference we're talking about. But what's, what's the risk for, you know, kids like ours that, uh, you know, didn't thrive on breastfeeding right off the jump. And, um, you know, so, so for me, I, 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 I get it. I, I know where they're coming from. I know that they're trying to pass on a lot of the antibodies, but for me, it's a, it's a lot of pressure to put on uh, women as well. No, exactly. Um, to, uh, elaborate on what Harmon is talking about, you know, so the touted benefits of breast milk are, you know, lower risk of sudden infant death syndrome, lower risk of asthma, lower risk of skin problems, lower risk of diarrhea, digestive conditions, lower risk of leukemia, lower risk of, uh, risk of, you know, short-term and long-term health problems, including diabetes and obesity, um, ear infections, fewer cases of bacterial meningitis, um, less hospitalization in a life, uh, you know, in a lifetime. And I'm just reading off uh, very, very highly regarded academic, uh, uh, you know, medical schools uh, websites. And you can Google this and you just look at the top five to 10 links of benefits of breastfeeding and you'll see this everywhere, right? Uh, it's just like, oh my gosh, seems like a slam dunk, right? Why wouldn't you want your kid to be breastfed and if you can't do it, that's, uh, you should try to do it, right? I mean, that's like, seems like, like the message on the internet. And, uh, hey, the crazy one is like, hey, breastfeeding leads to higher IQ, three to six points. Have you seen this before? That one I actually hadn't. That one I'm interested to hear about. The literature is everywhere. And, you know, a lot of respected uh, institutions put it on their website, higher IQ, you know, higher, you know, academic performance, verbal, math ability, et cetera. I mean, like it's, uh, it's everywhere. And uh, that really shook me because I'm like, oh my God, and my son is not getting fully, fully <laughs> breastfed. Uh, what about those three to six IQ points, right? So, you know what? I went kind of down a wormhole and I read every single paper that touted all these benefits. There's a really, really good paper published by Colin et al., Mm-hmm. And the title is, is Breast Truly Best? Estimating the Effects of Breastfeeding on Long-Term Child Health and Well-Being in the United States Using Sibling Comparisons. And it's published in a, a decent journal with an impact factor of about six. It's called Social Science Medicine. And they do a systematic review of breastfeeding versus uh, 
you know, a formula fed baby like study. And now they are focused on sibling comparisons. Okay. Yeah. And so basically what, what, what they realize is that when you take families who have breastfed versus families who have formula fed, right? All, a lot of those benefits that's t- touted in the literature, they exist. They're significant difference. But then when you look at single families where siblings, one sibling got breast milk and one did not, one got formula fed, those mm-hmm. differences went away. And then yeah. when they went further, they realized that, oh, wow, okay. So this might be a little controversial, but this is, I, to my best of my understanding, it's factual. In the United States, the peop, the mothers who are able to breastfeed are going to be are going to be white, well educated, and um, more affluent than those who have to formula feed. And that right there is the crux of it, right? When you're when you're doing a lot of these observational um, studies you're developing what we call an association, not causation. Okay. So when, when we look at this, is it that really in, again, these, a lot of these observational studies are, are we really just picking out families that aren't quite as resource rich families that really don't have the means to be able to, you know, get all the additional support, get to their doctor's visits, get to, you know, um, healthier lifestyles, healthier eating habits, which all impact a lot of these outcomes that you're talking about. You know, if, if you're, if you're likely to have every meal be some sort of fast food, because that's all you can really afford both both by time and by cost, then, you know, are your rates of cancer going to go up? I would say, yes, that, 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 that holds just as true, but you know, those are also the ones that, you know, the families have to return back to work very quickly. And in doing so, um, they have to resort to formula. And this was one of the big things that actually got me is that, uh, you know, we're, we're one of the lucky ones, right? Uh, you and I, and, yeah. um, when it came time for, uh, this notion of pumping, I, I'm also lucky that my, uh, my partner, she, she works in a children's hospital and within the children's hospital, we had difficulty finding a place for her to pump. Yep. And, uh, that was just so eye-opening to me is that technically she could have used an office that uh, every member of the staff has access to, or she would have to leave the ICU and go to a different area to be able to do it. And option three that they gave her was someone else's office with uh, like a fold-up curtain uh, put up around it. And, right. um, you know, like if you look at this pumping equipment, I mean, like you, you carry a fair amount with you. Right. Um, and so it's, it's been an uphill battle this and, this entire time just to be able to, to pump for my wife as well. Yeah. And, uh, which is crazy, right? Your wife is a critical care physician taking care of critically all dying children. And then she has to find time to pump, which requires a tremendous amount of time and resources. Meanwhile, she's managing really sick children, right? I mean, the system is just not really conducive to the message that the, you know, the governing bodies that may be are saying that we, what we should be doing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's where the rubber meets the road is feasibility. Right. Right. And so at the end of the day, I agree where, where you can breastfeed by all means, like, and that's, that's what we're able to do. Shouldn't be an element of guilt linked into it. Right. 
Some of the stuff I do find really, really striking in favor of breastfeeding, obviously, you know, breast, breast milk is superior to formula. I will say that, you know, I want, I want everyone, all the listeners to understand that what we're talking about is where, how can we do it reasonably that works for everybody's lifestyle, right? Because clearly only 24% of American mothers are able to do what, you know, the governing bodies are expecting us to do. And so something needs to change, right? Our, our message has to be a little bit more uh, considerate of how people are actually living. Hey, here's something cool is, uh, you know, the immu- immunogenic properties of breast milk are kind of wild. You know, people will talk about how the saliva of the infant is absorbed by the skin and then the mo- mom's body like adapts to make, you know, uh, breast milk customized for each child. Have you heard that before? actually hadn't but this is fascinating news yeah and uh you know i was like okay i I look through all the papers and that's actually legit science that's pretty Mm -hmm. cool and then obviously the immunogenic properties of breast milk is fascinating it's like you know whatever thousands of like really uh, really cool immunogenic you know proteins are in there and uh you know actually if you eat breast milk your thymus is bigger than people who don't children who don't have breast milk so obviously the thymus for those who, who don't know is uh an important player in your immune system. And uh, I looked into the whole claim that, okay, breast milk reduces the risk of leukemia. And, you know, they say it by 20%. And it actually is, you know, obviously these are not randomized controlled trials, but these studies are actually pretty legit. And so there is a reduced risk of leukemia, uh, you know, by up to, they say like 15, 20%, if you take breast milk, exclusive breast, uh, breast milk, but obviously statistics can tell the story however you want, right? And so how many children are actually getting leukemia? But Harmon, give us your bottom line for the listeners. You know, breast, when someone asks you, hey, breast milk versus formula, what's your bottom line? What would be your, uh, your you know, the two, three sentences you would say? Here's what it comes down to in my eyes. Give breast milk if you can. Absolutely breastfeed if you can. If you can't, make sure your child is safe. Make sure your child is hydrated. And then we'll figure out the breastfeeding arm of it after if it's possible. How about you? What, what was your big takeaway from this? No, I mean, I completely agree. Um, breastfeed if you can, but we live in a world now and a time now where it's not really reasonably possible for a lot of families. Uh, if you can't, it's okay. You know, don't feel guilty is what I want to say is, uh, you know, there's some of the benefits that are touted on, on the internet. You know, they, some of it is overstated, I think. And, but more, more than anything, you do what is right for your family. Um, I'm all about uh, promoting, um, supporting them, each family and mother's choice and um, do what you can to keep your child uh, well hydrated and getting all the calories that he or she needs to grow and be happy. More, the most important thing is going to be, you know, the time that you spend with them and uh, et cetera. We'll talk about all that kind of stuff in the future, but uh, don't feel guilty. Do it if you can. If you can't, it's okay that because this is the world that we're living in and uh, that's the message I want to promote. All right. Thanks, Harmon. We'll uh, be back next time with another uh, fun topic. Uh, It was great talking to you, brother. Likewise. Have a good one.